We're, the rest of us continues on our study of uh, what the larger catechism is to say about the Lord's Supper. We should have just one more study on this next week, Lord willing, uh, before we are done. Um, tonight we are going to, Lord willing, look at questions 171 to 173 of the larger catechism. And so far the larger catechism has taught us what a sacrament is. It has uh, taught us what the Lord's Supper is, specifically in question 168. And it has also taught us the mechanics of how to do the Lord's Supper. Tonight, we'll consider how we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper and who should partake of the Lord's Supper. Those are the two things that we're going to be looking at tonight. So three questions, they deal with these two subjects. Um, how to prepare for the Lord's Supper, and who should be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now, as we talk about the first subject, how to prepare for the Lord's Supper, and as we read through question 171, uh, think of how these activities that the question, the answer is going to enumerate, can be a great Saturday night devotion or a great Sunday morning meditation as we prepare for the Lord's Supper every week. And this can be something we do every, week, every single week. It doesn't have to be long. It can be something that is a blessing uh, for us as we do that. I wish our hymnals would have their larger catechism, but it doesn't. Uh, it only has a shorter uh, catechism. Question 171, to begin with, it asks, How are they that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to prepare themselves before they come unto it? They that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are before they come to prepare themselves thereunto by examining themselves of their being in Christ, of their sins and wants, of the truth and measure of the knowledge, faith and repentance, love to God and the brethren, charity to all men, forgiving those that, are, that have done them wrong, of their desires after Christ and of their new obedience and by renewing the exercise of these graces, by serious meditation and fervent prayer. So lots of uh, run-on sentences, right? Uh, the Puritan England liked run-on sentences. Uh, uh, this is before they invented uh, the label run-on sentences. Uh, they also liked semicolons quite a bit. You have a lot of them there. And so you have all these clauses telling us how we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And there are two things, really, that's talking about. This question teaches us that the preparation for the Lord's Supper consists of self-examination and renewed obedience. All these phrases, clauses, boil down to these two things. Most of them talk about self-examination and then the last little bit of it about renewed obedience as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper. So, just to state the obvious, self-examination is required, a required preparation for partaking of the Lord's Supper. We see that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So you see that self-examination precedes coming to the supper. That's one of the reasons why we do not believe in pedo communion. Uh, the, 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 that is, that babies to take of the elements. That the Bible requires a certain cognitive level 
in order to examine oneself uh, to see if they should come or if you should come to the Lord's Supper. And the Catechism says that we are to examine ourselves about the reality of our faith. If you see there in the question, it says, their being in Christ. Uh, the Bible teaches that, that we're to make sure we examine ourselves as to whether, whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, do you know, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that, what, that we are not disqualified. But Paul says, test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. The weekly Lord's Supper, as we prepare for it, gives us the opportunity to examine to see if we are in Christ. <clears throat> also, the question there says we get to examine whether we are where we are, not whether we are, where we are in our relationship to sin and sanctification. Several of those clauses relate to that, to our relationship to sin and sanctification. And we are to do that. In the context of the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? So where, where are we in relation to sin and <clears throat> sanctification? Are we trying to live a life that includes both, a foot in the world and a foot in the church? Are we um, trying to entertain sin in our hearts and treasure it and keep it. So preparing for the Lord's Supper help us to see those things and to repent. So let's say they examine yourself and you realize that you're harboring sin in your heart that is dear to you. The, 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 the logical thing to do is not say, therefore I should not take the Lord's Supper. The logical thing is to repent at that moment. And I'll be ready to take of the Lord's Supper. You should never make provision for the flesh. Never make provision to keep that sin that's so dear to you. you know, um, John Owens is, is famously said, kill sin or it will kill you. Kill sin or sin will kill you. What uh, if it's complicated? <laughs> you know what to say about complicated, right? <laughs> it's complicated. It's a cold word for I don't want to do it. So, uh, so, yeah, if it's complicated, get rid of it. <laughs> that's pretty much this, this, just that. <clears throat> also, it, um, it, the, the catechism says that we're to examine ourselves to see whether we are living a Christian life, the idea of truth and measure of your life. Now, some of these clauses approach the same subject from different angles to help us think about it more fully. So each of these clauses is not talking about something completely different, but it's just a little change in the wording so that we can think about the same thing from all kinds of different Angle. So we're to examine our lives to see where we are according to truth and uh, the measure of our uh, obedience. Uh, but Paul says that, um, <clears throat> for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So if we are the one examining ourselves, judging ourselves, we don't need to be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. In um, 1 Corinthians 10... Paul says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And it's interesting, this is in the context of the Lord's Supper. He's talking about this. Flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of, of that one bread. 
So flee from idolatry as you come to the, to the table. Where are you living? How, how are you living? Is your, your life lived as a Christian? And then the, the, the catechism also encourages us to examine ourselves to see where we are in loving God and loving others, including forgiveness. You know, notice that it says right there, where do you think that, why do you think they added there? Ed, added it there. Forgiveness. I th- yes, I think that's what it is. Matthew 5. Remember, Matthew 5 says you're in their way to the temple to, to bring a gift to the Lord. And you remember that somebody has an issue with you. Drop the gift and go solve that. And then go ahead and go worship the Lord. Um, so the idea of forgiveness is... Uh, is important. And also what we saw in the previous slide in 1 Corinthians 10, we're part of the same loaf, the same bread, we're part of the same body. Union, unity is also important as we observe the Lord's Supper. It, it represents union. Right? So that should be present there with us as well. <clears throat> Any questions on this part of self-examination? All right. Uh, it also says that we are to renew our pursuit of obedience. As we examine ourselves, as we prepare to come to the table, we also are renewing our obedience to the Lord. So, and we have the opportunity of doing that every single week. If we, take, if we avail ourselves of this opportunity to renew our obedience uh, to the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19, says... Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. So these, these things being true, right? Verses 19, 20, and 21. This is what we do. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised, for he who promised is faithful. So as we think about the blood of Jesus Christ, as we think about his ministry as a high priest that the Lord's Supper uh, uh, instructs us about, then we are able to do these two let us, which is a renewal of obedience. is to walk further into Obedience. So as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, we have the opportunity to do these things and to be great, more committed to the Lord. So you can see that even before we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we, we're thinking about it, as we prepare ourselves, it is already becoming a means of grace to, become, to make us more like Jesus Christ as we repent from sin and we have a renewed effort towards obedience. Any questions? All right, so that's question 171. Question 172 asks, May one who doubteth of his being in Christ or of his due preparation come to the Lord's Supper? The answer, one who doubteth of his being in Christ or of his due preparation to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper may have true interest in Christ, though he be not yet assured thereof. And in God's account hath it, if he be duly affected with the apprehension of the want of it, and unfailingly desires to be found in Christ, and to depart from iniquity, 
In which case, because promises are made and this sacrament is appointed for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians, he is to bewail his unbelief and labor to have his doubts resolved. And so doing, he may and ought to come to the Lord's Supper that he may be further strengthened. It's a mouthful, right? We have to break it down a little in order to understand. But what does it mean when it says, one who doubteth of his being in Christ? What is it referring to? Assurance. Assurance, yes. One who doesn't have assurance of salvation. That's the one who doubts to be in Christ. So what the question is saying, or the answer is saying, is that the Lord's Supper is for the believer independently of the strength of his or her faith. In our understanding, assurance is not of the essence of faith. That is, one can have true faith in Christ and not be assured of it. So our confession makes that distinction. Our catechisms make that distinction, which is a big difference from the, uh, the, 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 the churches that follow the three forms of unity. Have you ever heard the expression, the three forms of unity? Not the three self-church. That's the government church in China. The three forms of unity. The Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. So the United States, probably the one that you may have come across is the Christian Reformed Church, CRC. Uh, though they are more and more kind of leaving the, their standards. But the URC is another church that follows those standards. as RCUS. Uh, and in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 7 says that if you don't have assurance, you don't have faith. So in Dutch churches, you may have a church of 700 people where maybe 10 will take Lord's Supper. Because they really make that standard very high of what assurance is. Now, that's not true of a, of a Dutch denomination like the Heritage Reformed Congregations. That's uh, Joe Beakey would be the biggest name you might know with that denomination, where they, went, they, they were able to free themselves from that, that understanding. But we believe that assurance is not required for you to take the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> so assurance is not of the essence of faith, which means that a person doesn't have to be certain that he or she is saved in order to actually be saved. Can you think of a passage that might teach that? And if you can't, I'll be super disappointed. Chris! John 6.37 Which says... Okay. That, that, gives, that talks about perseverance of the saints, but how does that teach you that somebody who doesn't necessarily know if they're saved can be truly saved? I'm not going to quit if you guys don't. Yes, thank you, Renee. The current series of a morning service, the whole book is written to help those who are believers, but they may not have assurance of faith. Remember? Chapter 2, he's writing so that you may know that you know Christ. Thank you, Ray. I was this close to quitting the ministry altogether. First <laughs> uh, John 5, 13, for example, says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Lord, the Son of God, that you may know. So he's writing to those who believe already, 
so that they may know that you, you have eternal life. Though they, they may be questioned, but not necessarily know, but they did uh, believe. And you might ask, how can somebody believe and not have assurance? Well, is the experience of someone who really is not certain if he's, he's saved, he's really, really a believer, but he wants to, and he loves Jesus, and uh, he wants to obey his word, and all that, but he doesn't have that subject, subjective inner peace that he's indeed in Christ, and yet he wants to please Christ. Yes, he wants to follow Christ. That's the kind of person that this question is uh, talking about. So a deep concern about one's personal salvation together with a desire to be found in Christ and to depart from iniquity is evidence of being saved, even though the person may not have subjective assurance. Uh, Remember how John speaks in objective terms when it comes to faith? So you want to know if you're saved? Do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Do you love the brethren? And do you obey the commands of God? Those three objective tests that he is given to the church. Paul talks about um, faith not uh, assurance not being of the essence of faith. When it says, I count all things lost for the essence of the knowledge of Christ, and he continues to pursue that knowledge of Christ. It's a lifelong pursuit of the believer. Uh, when Paul tells Timothy what the foundation of God, uh, he doesn't include assurance of salvation. He says, um, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. doesn't say let everyone who knows the name of Christ have this feeling in his heart. Right? Uh, it, it says those that uh, names Christ just live a holy life. And this question tells us that the Lord's Supper provides grace and points the weak to Christ, points the one that lacks assurance to Christ. How does that? How does the Lord's Supper point the one who's struggling with his or her faith not because of sin, but because of a lack of inward assurance to Christ. Is it just the remembrance of what Christ did for that sinner? Aren't you confident of this, Jerry? Pardon? Aren't you confident of this? Yeah. Can't you see it as a statement? Okay, good. So Jerry's confident that the remembrance point, yes. Right? Isn't that one of the things that the sacrament does? Jesus says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. As we're doing that, we're thinking about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, This is my body broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. As a particular Lord's Supper, you're being pointed to Christ. You're remembering Him. This is my blood. You do it in remembrance of me. Uh, in Luke 22, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So as you're practicing the Lord's Supper, as you're observing it, you, these things are pointing you to, to Christ. Um, if you're... The, 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 Westminster shorter, the Westminster catechisms, both large and shorter, are a better theological catechism than the Heidelberg. The Heidelberg is a better devotional catechism. 
And I encourage you to go back home and find the question, when you go back home tonight, find the question on the Lord's Supper. It's beautifully written. It talks about, now, as you hold the bread, you can be, you can be assured that as sure as you hold that bread in your hand, Christ has died for you. So very beautiful language like that. So read that um, as you think about the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. So the weak and uncertain should come to the Lord's Supper, provided that he or she is pursuing Christ in obedience to his word. But if the lack of assurance comes from sin, then it's, there's a different situation than what this question is describing. Because nobody should feel assured of their faith if they're living in sin. In constant sin. Any questions before we continue? Kim? Um, when it says uh, one who doubteth of his due preparation, is that in reference to the preparation in the previous question? The self examination? Yes. You know, I really tried to get ready, but I don't know if I am. <laughs> Go ahead and partake of it. That's, that's what it's talking about. Anything else? All right, so that leaves us with our last question for tonight, question 173. So you can see that 172 talks about who should come to the Lord's Supper. 173 also addresses that, but from a different perspective now. 172 is talking about the one who is a believer, but it doesn't have that inward assurance. 173 is talking about one who thinks is a Christian, but who's not. May any who profess the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper be kept from it. So should the church keep people from the table? That's the question. Such as are found to be ignorant or scandalous, notwithstanding their profession of the faith and desire to come to the Lord's Supper, may and ought to be kept from that sacrament by the power which Christ has left in his church until they receive instruction and manifest their reformation. So the, this question deals with uh, those who, who shouldn't think they are believers, but are convinced they are. So these are the opposite of the ones who don't have the subject of inner assurance of faith. These are the ones that think they, they are believers, but they are, they are not. All right, before we look at the scriptures should people be kept from the Lord's table? Yes or no? Yes. Why? Like scripture-wise. <laughs> the Bible says in... Huh? Yeah, Paul says in Corinthians that, Tilly? Yes, that some may even fall asleep. He's not talking about the regular church service. He's talking about, you know... Um, uh, dying uh, there. What, what else? What else can you go? Where else can you go in the scriptures to, to show that some people should be kept from taking the Lord's Supper? Jim Weston. First uh, Corinthians with the, the man and the situation with his mother and stepmother. Stepmother, hopefully. Yes. First Corinthians five. Yes. What else? I guess it implied, right, because they died. 
So they shouldn't come. To the, the, the. Uh, but yeah, um, how about Matthew 18, 15 to 20? Remember that they're to be put outside of the church, so treated as a, as a heathen, a tax collector. So you can see that the scriptures teach that. And the, this question says that ignorance and living in unrepentant sin should keep people from the table. That's another that's another reason why um, Pedro communion is a bad idea. Um, you need to understand, you need to not be ignorant of what's going on. Not a full understand understanding, but at least know what does the bread represent? What does a cup uh, represent? So they're not coming in ignorance as well. And that's why every Sunday we insist in the importance of membership. But it's through the process of membership that, the, the, that one is properly vetted to see if they, are, they understand what is um, going on in the Lord's Supper for their own spiritual and physical no, uh, good. We read these things in the Bible, and I think sometimes even we who believe the Bible to be true, we read them as something that happened in the past, doesn't happen anymore, or as fairy tales. But the same God that killed directly people in Corinth for taking the Lord's Supper unworthily is the God who will kill people today for doing the same thing. Right? And you forget that, that that's the case. So membership is not a desire for an empire it's not a desire for control. It's actually a way to love the brethren, to love people, the neighbor. To love the neighbor, make sure that they are not doing something that's harmful uh, to them. Because not only it could be physical harmful, harmful but it's, it is spiritually harmful uh, to, to the person. Uh, <clears throat> Paul says that so in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 30. Uh, where he insists that you have to be able to examine yourself. You have to be able to discern the body, that is, figure out what the blood, the, the cup, and the bread is, and that you are part of the church. The body here is not the body of, is not the physical or spiritual body of the person of Christ. The body is the church. And the person has to have an understanding that you are part of the body in order to partake of the Lord's Supper. And ignorance of Christ and what the supper is is also something that is supposed to stay, keep somebody away. Then you're supposed to discern the body. Again, another argument against paid communion, uh, the, the, the communion that is apart from a credible profession of faith. Any questions? So here we have the three questions for tonight. One tells us how we prepare ourselves to partake of the supper. Two, tell us who should come. Those who are weak in the faith should come. Those that are doubting their salvation should come. And those who don't have any reason to believe that they are believers should not come, should be barred from the table. And notice that the question doesn't say they shouldn't come. The idea is that they should be barred from the table. Now, do you believe the church has that authority to do that? Do you believe that the church has the authority to bar people from the Lord's table? Yes or no? Where, is in, the, where in the Bible do you find that? Okay, yes, you have that there. 
you have that in Thessalonian letters. But there's a, the, the, that's an application of a basic principle uttered by Jesus Christ himself. Is the, is, the, is the power of the keys in Matthew 16, where the keys of heaven, as it were, are given to the church. And Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth, our translation says, will be bound in heaven, which gives the idea, well, not just our translation, most English translations, which gives the idea that what the church does then will happen in, in heaven, but it's not the way it's written. It's literally says what you bind what you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven that the action in heaven preceded the action the church only declares so the powers of the keys given to the church given to the elders is a power to declare what the bible says concerning uh, who should come to the table or not and to keep people on that basis to open the table and to lock the table here, and that's, an, that's another element of membership, right? That, that's one of the ways that uh, we open the table is through the process of membership. Any questions? So, Lord William, next Wednesday, then we're going to finish the, the two questions left. So, we've seen how we should prepare ahead of time. Now, we're going to look, Lord William, next week and on what we should be doing as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper. Which is always confused, right? You, you, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but you put the bread in your mouth and then you wonder, what should I be doing? Or you forget to do something. Or you think, man, this person is loud. Or a lot of train noise is going on here. I mean, uh, your mind goes in all kinds of different directions and you forget, what is it that I should be doing here that I'm um, partaking of Lord's Supper? Well, we're going to see that next week. And then, what do we do afterwards? As we go home, as, as we think about it, the, the Lord's Supper keeps on, it's, it's almost like a, What's the name of the slow-release capsule? It keeps on dispensing grace as you think about it afterwards as well. So that's a goal for next uh, Wednesday, Lord willing. All right? Any questions or comments? Levi? I've always found it weird that most mainline churches, evangelical churches, mm-hmm. they, they don't practice paedobaptism, but they do practice paedobaptism. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. In that they have open, they're open communion, yes. Yes. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you're good to us. We thank you for the good gift of your supper. Prepare us for it, even this Lord's Day. Pray that uh, you dismiss us with your blessings tonight, take us home safely, and bring us back on your day to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.